Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. And today we're going to talk about how do we frame a conversation for innovation. And we're going to do this with Erwin de Bouquier. Erwin lives in Brussels. He's a guest professor at the University College of Ghent, and he's the director at Johnson & Johnson. What's important to remember and know is he's an expert in building innovative cultures. So let's welcome Erwin and a warm welcome to you. Hello and welcome Erwin to the show. How are you doing this morning? Hey Deepa, thank you. I'm, I'm doing excellent. Yeah, thanks for having me here. You know, when things get tough, that is when we get into like, how do we keep safe? And at the same time, innovation that is innovating in times of adversity is the most critical and important aspect. So tell us a little bit what you do and what you love about innovation. I work as a director of innovative capabilities at Johnson & Johnson. Um, more specifically for uh, Janssen, which is J&J's pharmaceuticals branch. And I work there in the areas of quality and compliance and clinical trials. Yeah, So a highly regulated environment. And this is exactly where I'm aiming to bring innovation. Yeah, So probably one of, the, let's say, the toughest and the hardest areas to bring change. But also, I think, one of the most rewarding if you can catalyze some transformational changes. And I think it's exactly those challenges that actually attract me to that kind of an environment. Tell us a little bit about those challenges, because there are two opposing polarities. Like one is like safety and security, because that's highly critical in this domain. And at the same time, innovation is all about let's try something new and it's okay to fail. So how do you balance that polarity? Honestly, I, I believe it's sort of a false duality. Because, if, I mean, if I would just be looking, let's say, at my... QNC colleagues, yeah? They have, let's say, that image of being traditional, conservative, yeah? But that's for a good reason. They're trying to protect the company from risks, yeah? They're aiming to ensure data integrity, patient safety, etc. What they're truly doing is actually risk mitigation, identifying risks and trying to overcome them. Now, if we think of an innovation process, then what, let's say the most important thing actually to deal with is uncertainty and ambiguity. Yeah? And exactly during actually the execution of any innovation project, we're trying to sort of identify what are the risks of a transformational change. And through the process, we're trying to reduce the risks. So that's why it's for me sort of a false duality because both QNC and innovation are actually about risk management and are about the reduction of uncertainty. I like the word uh, that you just mentioned, risk management. It triggers something in me. And I want to make this distinction. To be optimistic means taking a shot at making things better. And at the same time, when we're trying to be optimistic and people come up with, oh, here's the risk if you go down this path. Oh, that's, you know, that's going to jeopardize such and such aspect. The, immediately, the person who comes up with the idea feels drenched, like, oh my God, you're only talking about risk. You're only talking about closing doors. You're not looking at like what's possible. And so we automatically, immediately make this judgment call that the person who's talking about risks and the person who's trying to mitigate risk is not being optimistic. But in fact, all that they're doing is actually 
saying, hey, let's take care of this. Do you notice that? I do, I do. And I think one, one very important behavior is what I call signaling. So when you're talking about something that is new and unknown, it is important, let's say, that you're signaling what are actually the type of responses that you want actually to get from the person that you're talking to. If you're trying, let's say, to expand the thinking, if you want to say, let's say, if you want to discover the potential about something yeah, very new and very strange, yeah, mm -hmm. you can actually signal in your conversation, well, just put all of your beliefs about this aside and just try to imagine for one point, for one moment, what the potential of this idea could be. And the other behavior uh, in signaling can be, I have this idea and I just want to understand what could all of be the limitations and the risks that are a part of it, yeah? So please tell me anything where you think that actually this idea could fail and be very candid about it, yeah? So again, you're signaling what are the type of responses that you actually would like to get. I don't know, Deepa, if, you, if you've ever heard of the idea of vertical seating in aviation. That doesn't no, ring a bell. Say no. more. No. No. Okay. Well, so so this was an idea that um, uh, companies like yeah, the usual suspects like like Ryanair had at one point, and they said, "Well, um, what if we could cram more people into an airplane if we could get them actually stand up instead of being seated?" Yeah. Now, the immediate reaction of that would be, are you nuts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Safety first. Like, uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Now, now the, here's the interesting thing. If you look into aviation, in, in certain aviation laws, then the only thing which is actually being prescribed is actually that people have a seatbelt during landing and takeoff. Not mm -hmm. every aviation law mentions that people are being seated. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So I think there, there is to date still no airplane where people are vertically seated. Yeah? But still, it's a belief. Yeah? And you're purposefully asking to break the, the, that, that standing belief that people have about the fact that you should be seated in an airplane. Yeah. So does that still work in that situation? Like, you know, if I'm coming up with this crazy idea, like which might sound crazy today, but it's an eventual possibility in the future that I could be standing and flying in, in a plane. Like, and then if I still walk into a room and I frame that, hey, listen, like, can you try and imagine what that might look like? And it's such a shock to people that even though we frame it, that's still not enough. That is true. That is true. Yeah. That is, I think, where where every, let's say, belief about something that is transformational and why it would work or would not work is actually an assumption or a hypothesis. Yeah. And when I was talking earlier about innovation as actually in, in a process of reduction of uncertainty, mm -hmm. then converting these beliefs into assumptions and with assumptions you can do testing and experimentation yeah and where you're actually instead of let's say having a conversation whether a belief is true or not true you frame the belief actually as an assumption that you can test yeah and the outcome of the test will actually create a shared understanding or a new belief yeah uh, that did not exist yet before And that's actually how you get out of 
the conversation or the discussion because we can talk forever, yeah, whether it makes sense to be vertically seated or not in an airplane, yeah? But there are certain beliefs that you can turn into assumptions and these you can test. Absolutely. And this goes very well with the culture uh, framework model where, in fact, uh, you see behaviors on the outside and then every behavior has a certain belief and that belief has a certain assumption. And this is actually the crux that we're all operating. And we humans are an assumption-making machine. We're making like thousands of assumptions every day because we've got to make those decisions. And But we never question those assumptions. We don't bring it out to the conscious surface. And what you're talking about is actually, let's bring out the assumptions to consciously at the table so we can actually start testing them and start shifting the paradigms. Yeah, exactly. So how do you, like, do you have a systemic approach of moving people from what's currently possible? Like this is the knowledge we have and this is what we know and therefore things are being done in a certain way to thinking beyond what we don't know. Because when we want to make decisions uh, with certainty, we're looking for data and we don't have enough data. There are certain beliefs also about the innovation process itself. Mm -hmm. One of them is that you need to create psychological safety. I'm not going to detest that. By far not. So it's really important, let's say, that people can bring on the table whatever they feel that they need to. Now... Having a psychological safe environment in order, let's say, to bring people from what they know today to what is possible is not enough because the result of it may be that people just get to be too nice to each other. Yeah. So here again, signaling means for me that we can also be candid with each other. Yeah. And and the importance of, let's say, uh, an environment where people can just out loud provide critique to each other, yeah? Mm. That's a truly psychological safe environment, yeah? So I think it's it's really important, let's say, that in those conversations that you ask people to be almost brutally honest on the subject, not on the person, yeah? And that any critiques that come are not, let's say, related to the person that brings the critique or that is being criticized. If you don't do that, we're just too nice to each other, yeah? And we're not getting, let's say, the really difficult things to the surface, yeah? Because if, let's say, through that candor, yeah, people may be able to change their belief, then then that change is going to be a lot more profound than we're just nice, but then when we are just nice to each other. (laughs) Harmony does not build innovation, does it? It does not. Right. By far, it does not. That is, on the one hand, a, a trap. We, we don't want, let's say, jerks. We don't, let's say, want arrogant people on, on our team. We want, let's say, the people that are committed to solve a very complex challenge. Yeah, But that does require, of course, that people can be brutally honest with each other. And then thereafter, enjoy a beer or a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, to be brutally honest, one of the things that the leader is constantly doing is saying, I empower you to disagree with me. And I welcome you to disagree with me. And I welcome the critiques that you have, but not personal attacks. And there's a clear distinction between that, a critique and a personal attack. A critique critique is to the subject, to the matter that's being discussed and not, and like you said, you know, you can be arrogant about the topic, but you can't be a jerk and attack the person. And that's a very simple and, you know, critical distinction. 
What's been the hardest place for you to actually shake people up and get them to have those tough conversations mm-hmm. and be open and respectful to each other? Because, you know, when we're talking about innovation, we're also talking about changing our own assumptions. And then I've been operating on a certain way. And then suddenly something new has to come in. Like, let's say I'm in charge. I'm just going back to that example of the flight. I'm in charge of making seats. But then I'm being told that, hey, we're going to take off all these seats. And like that's the job I've been doing for like last 10 or 20 years in this organization. And now you come and disrupt with an idea that's going to potentially jeopardize my security at work or that sense that gives me that sense of security. That I imagine is hard for people. So what else do you notice like that? To move forward, let's say, with with the idea of removing seats from an airplane. Yeah. The question is, of course, why would you do that? Is it just, let's say, to cram more people into the plane? Yeah. Or is it maybe because our company isn't doing very well, and we may go bankrupt. So I think what is really important is, let's say, that the story that you're telling as the leader of a business, yeah, on why you would actually be making certain changes, yeah, and also why you would be innovating. Because, quite frankly, no one is going to get any better for innovation for the sake of innovation. There must be a very clear why. Yeah? And that's sometimes what, what I observe that sometimes is missing. Uh, and then you get into the sort of innovation theater that actually in the end, no one likes to, to, to play in. But I think understanding, let's say, what is the story where our company is going to, yeah? why we would need to be innovating and why we would need to be changing. And then... What does it mean, let's say, especially in large multinationals, what does it mean at every single level? So probably not just sufficient that, let's say, the top is deciding and and bringing a great story. Because if I'm, let's say, nine levels from the CEO and I can't relate to that story, then actually the only thing that you have is a nice story and some fluffy air. So, and I've seen occasions where literally big changes were cascaded one level by one level and where it was the responsibility of every manager team leader to talk to their uh, team members and ensure that they would cascade the message further down. Yeah, I think if you don't do that, then we're all part of the innovation theater. <laughs> and I like the, you know, the words that you use, like the innovation theater because like, you know, any kind of culture change also, it can come down in a top way, like, okay, this is the value, this is the new culture, this is what we want to build, versus like, why are we actually going there? Like, what's that sense of urgency? And the sense of urgency can only last a certain period of time, but the deep why, that's the thing that you mentioned, like the deep reason why, why are we actually going in that direction? And then the second question that you mentioned is like, what does it mean at each and every single level? Because what it means five levels below is not the same as what it means nine levels below. And the third thing that you just mentioned is have that conversation within your team, which is like, how can I make it actionable? Because if it's just words and I can't make it actionable, it doesn't make sense. Then I'm not actually contributing to that big shift in culture. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what, one of the things we're currently, let's say, discussing in our teams at j is how are we working post-pandemic? 
Of course, let's say there are policies and guidelines around uh, remote work, etc. But in our team, we also had a conversation around the the, the work from home policies, etc. But that's the moment that I, when I really brought up, I said, it's a, that's an interesting topic. But what for me is most interesting to discuss is actually how do we want to continue working as a team? And it's even much more, let's say, it goes much more beyond, let's say, than whether you work from home or from the office. Yeah, it's more, let's say, about what are, let's say, the new team dynamics that we want to have in a in a well almost post pandemic world. Yeah, it's very funny. In the the last three months, I've been getting a whole lot of requests of doing team buildings, having these conversations where we people actually want a safe space to be able to discuss things that we don't discuss normally because everybody walks into a team meeting in and out of meetings. We go in like half an hour, another meeting, but we wanted to create a space. A lot of organizations want to create this space of like, how do we build teams in a virtual mode? How do we want to feel? Because it's easy to disagree and disconnect and be off into another room, have a coffee, come back and get into another meeting and never cross the person on the corridor and know actually what's going on for him or her. And so this virtual team building has just increased uh, significantly. Like those are kind of the work that I'm doing. What do you notice about that in your organization? Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm used to, to working, let's say, for almost like 20 years in, in this multinational environment. And I've been all, always working, let's say, with people located in different countries yeah so whether i was working from home or from the office it didn't really matter because i've always been part of global teams i mean i was mastering zoom and teams already pre-pandemic so <laughs> but the most important change that i've seen and, and that's just a personal observation is that i've always seen let's say that those informal conversation, mm-hmm. the water cooler or the coffee machine conversations, yeah? It, it, it was true that, let's say, they rarely occurred, let's say, as part of a formal conference call. What I did notice is that a lot of my colleagues actually opened up. And that instead of being task-oriented, jumping, let's say, to the topic of the conversation, we had a more sincere conversation on how we were doing. One thing I must tell you is that um, when I started to work, let's say, with people from the US, one thing that caught my attention was that they were asking, how are you doing? And they were even not listening to the answer. Um, how are you doing was sort of the phrase for me of saying hello. Hello, yeah. And that changed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, how are you doing was no longer a hello. Yeah, uh, How are you doing became how are you really doing? And I think that, well, I'm, I'm hoping that that will be sort of a, a, a more systemic change. Let's see how that um, evolves. Yeah, But it, it reminds me that it's not because we're working from home or in an office. We can't have meaningful, purposeful conversations. We can have them, but we need to be a lot more aware of it. So true. I can't agree more with you on that. And I think the one thing about the pandemic is, uh, you know, when we have these virtual calls, we know everybody is going through something in their house. Somebody has COVID. 
someone has lost someone from COVID, someone has had somebody at the hospital, we see people's dogs or cats or, you know, their kids flying in the background. So we just don't see the person who is, you know, wearing a suit and a tie and walking into the office anymore. We see a part of their house and we see something personal and people are more willing and open to this personal side. And when it comes to innovation and building innovation virtually, in this remote world, what are some of your tips for that? I think, first of all, relating to what I just mentioned is that um, try to, let's say, establish a bit of a, let's say, meaningful connection mm -hmm. with everyone being involved. See them not just as a team member, but first and foremost, let's say, as a person that come with strengths, talents, but also with challenges that actually may impact how they are actually doing and behaving in what you're currently running at that moment. And that's only something you can do, let's say, one person at a time. <laughs> Take the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been onboarding people during the pandemic. There is one guy, and he's also located in, 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 in Belgium. We actually never, ever met before. And still, I can tell you that I know about his hobbies and I know that he bought a house. And, and still, I think that we have at least some sort of a meaningful relationship. Of course, I would love to have a coffee with him or a beer uh, one day. But it's not because we're working from home that it's all totally impossible. Building meaningful relationships is essential. The fundamentals. And that helps us to see and have compassion and empathy, especially when you say we want to build that psychological safety. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So we create space for everything is welcome. And before we close this episode, what's one last final message you'd like to share with the audience? I've thought about this when uh, you send me the questions, Deepa. When I, when I talk about innovation, I see that people have a lot of perceived barriers. I don't have any money. I don't have any resources. I won't be allowed. And I call it perceived barriers, yeah? Because these are things that people believe themselves. Um, a, a while ago, we, we launched a, a concept inspired by the Adobe Kickbox, and we, we call it our innovation backpack, which is sort of a self-starter toolkit for innovation. It comes with um, $1,000 that you can spend. And the interesting thing that we learned, yeah? is that we handed out dozens of backpacks. No one ever spent any money. And what it actually means is that the moment that people get permission to innovate, yeah, that they start to explore the idea, they start to take initiative. So the one message that I would like to give, uh, Deepa, to your audience is that if you think that something could be done better, if you believe that something should change, give yourself permission and explore the change. And who knows, the change may happen. <laughs> Everything is possible, but it all starts off with you giving yourself the permission to do so. So here's an exercise, a coaching exercise that I'll actually invite people to do, like spend 10 minutes with yourself and ask yourself the question, if I give myself full permission, what would I do? And, you know, take a pen and a paper and keep journaling on that and, you know, keep going for about 10 minutes 
if I give myself full permission, what would I be doing? And I think that's a great way to self-brainstorm and come out with all the crazy possible ideas. And who, who knows, we might just be standing yeah. and flying or whatever, uh, whatever that might look like for you and in your organization. Thank you so much, Ervin, for being here with us. And before we close, I always have this personal question, uh, which is like, we're always trying to change and become a better version of ourselves. What's one behavior that, you have changed in 2021 and what's one that's still work in progress for you? I think where, where I worked a lot on and where I'm actually still working on is that sometimes, I mean, I think working remotely can also be exhausting, right? Yeah. I have two adorable, energetic girls. Uh, they're 10 and 12. And sometimes I could feel very tired when bringing them to bed, yeah? And so it was against my wife, will you do them to bed? Will you? I mean, the, the, the usual thing you, you, you share amongst couples. What I noticed actually that um, when I was bringing them to bed and came back, I actually regained my energy. And so actually, even when being exhausted, the contraintuitive thing is that actually putting more energy into something, yeah, actually can give you a lot more energy. And the same thing I actually have with cycling, yeah. There are days where I would love to cycle, but the weather is not, hmm, I mean, you know, Belgium, still getting on my, still just having the act of getting on my back after five minutes, I forgotten, I forgot about it. And so, again, it's about perception of, of barriers and the fact that, how you're managing your energy, it's not the management between a, a zero and a hundred percent. Yeah. There is no outer limit. And of course you need to wind down and, and you need to watch yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not detesting that, but it's a, it's a little more ambiguous than I'm energized or I'm being tired. So you never know your limits until you no, try. Either. No, <laughs> Thank you so much, Erwin, for being here with us. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. I love the word signaling that Erwin talks about in this episode. So signal people around you with your crazy ideas. Set up that frame so that you might have that conversation that really creates the breakthrough in your environment. You've got to be really crazy when you have a very disruptive idea. And don't stop with that craziness just because you hear people talking about risks or about the challenges and the difficulties. Now, for most future-focused people who see the bright future ahead in terms of going ahead with certain ideas and who have a strong gut instinct to go in a certain direction, patience might just run you out. But don't stop with your craziness because when you keep going with your crazy ideas, you will find one day someone who'll jump the boat with you and then there will be more people who'll jump and then that crazy idea just becomes the new normal. So be persistent, frame the conversation, future pace the people. I wish you all the very best. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with Ervin or me. Until the next episode, stay cool 
and I look forward to talking to you soon again. 